0: Welcome to the Like a Bigfoot Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. I am so incredibly excited to share the story uh on this week's podcast. Um a couple weeks ago, Phil Pinty and I recorded an episode, um a pre race episode before we were um packing up, heading out to western Colorado, eastern Utah, um, for the desert rats Coca 150 stage race uh it's put on by gemini adventures if you guys have listened to the podcast before you know uh, i ran this event last year and it was just so incredible that i had to come back for round two um and phil felt the same way so uh i'm bringing him back on the show today we're doing kind of a little race report uh i thought it would be weird if it was just me and phil sitting there being like remember when blah 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 blah, blah. um <laughs> so i brought uh one of my favorite people in the whole wide world brady manriquez on as kind of like a guide to like guide the conversation from the perspective of somebody who was not there um so we can kind of try to put into words uh, what we experienced over the week um and honestly i i've spent the whole entire week reflecting on this race and writing things down and and really thinking about it and i'm not even a hundred percent sure i can capture what this experience is if you're an ultra runner out there or anybody really honestly like you don't i think people have finished this race who have never ran an ultra before in their life so let me just and i know phil and i will get into it but like let me reiterate that If you're just a person out there and you're looking to have an adventure and you're looking to kind of like you know you're you're in your everyday comfortable routine which is great sometimes but you're looking to like step outside of that and really see what there is to offer there is no better event that i've ever done and like i haven't done every single event obviously but there's no other thing that i've done that is like this Um, stage racing is really popular over like in Europe and things like that. But in the United States, there's only like, you know, and I probably might be wrong about this as well, but there's only like four stage races. There's barely any, right? And this one is special. This one is really cool. It's really unique. Um, and I hope we can capture it as best we can, because this is just my favorite thing in the whole wide world. Um, if you are an ultra runner and you're, you know, you've done a handful of races and things like that, I'm telling you right now, there is no other race like this. Um, there's not a lot of hidden gems left in ultra running, right? We have a world of like Barkley marathon documentaries, which is great. Like, trust me, I love those documentaries more than anything. I think Barkley is obviously like an awesome event. Um, but is it a hidden gem anymore? I don't know. Um, you have lotteries to get into races, right? You're, you're waiting all year to find out if you get into this special race. And then you have qualifiers for like Western States, for example. Um, desert Rats is still a hidden gem. It's unique. You, you go into the desert one person and you come out another. And it's about love and community and overcoming hardships, both internally and externally. Uh, it's like this weird summer camp for adults, only with more blisters and fart jokes, right? <laughs> um, so it's just a special event. The people and it's the people that make it, and the trail the Coca Pelle Trail is a 140 mile mountain bike trail, generally. Uh, it's absolutely beautiful. It finishes in Moab, Utah. Moab's like one of the best adventure towns in the whole entire country. Um, but for me, it's the combination of this special tribe, this special family, special community that puts this on and races it, both the crew and the other runners. That is what makes the event. Uh, and then you combine that with just unbelievable, beautiful desert scenery. And then you combine it with doing something hard and going on an adventure and having a quest. You're going for that finish line and you're going to go through challenges along the way. And that and plus you get time alone in the desert. You get time to like be disconnected and think about that and um and like actually think through your thoughts and have some self-reflection time. It's. It's incredible. Um, It's kind of a time where you put away the mirrors, you put away the Internet, you put away self-imposed barriers and doubt in order to sleep under the stars covered in dirt and sweat. And you bathe your sore legs (laughs) in like the chocolate milk esque Colorado River. and then you just are shoveling food in your face and reconnecting with everybody, your fellow people, right? Your everybody face to face in person as you're trudging along the trail or you're sitting in camp chairs around a fire pit. And I think I think that if you are seeking a new experience, I think this is a way to to find that right it's a way to step outside your comfort zone in all sorts of ways to actually experience life in a in a new way and more of like a pure purer way i think you know you don't have you're disconnected from technology for most of the race and it's awesome because then you get to actually just sit around you get to see people for what they are and like get to hang out and like really experience them that way which is which is really special. Um, All right, let's get into it. Uh, That was kind of a longer intro than I wanted. And this is a really long podcast. (laughs) Uh, Apologies in advance. My, My nose was clogged all day. I went on a bike ride in the morning through like just super long grass and my allergies went insane the rest of the day. I'm like, oh my God, like I'm going to sound ridiculous on this podcast. Uh, I don't think I sound too bad, but we'll see. <laughs> um, if you finish this this episode of the show or next week's, which we'll talk to some of the other racers, um, and this sounds like something for you, it's already up on Ultra Sign Up. Just type in Desert Rats, Kokopelli uh, 150 or whatever. Just type in Desert Rats or Gemini Adventures, and it's going to show up. Um, like I said, highly recommended Uh, it's really tempting for me to go back for the trilogy uh, which we'll talk about a little bit at the end of the podcast Um, I'm not 100% sure at this point but uh, it's it's very tempting let me just say that Um, all right let's get into it this is the like a Bigfoot podcast number 153 Desert Rats the sequel with Phil Pinty and Brady Manriquez hey guys real quick before we start uh this is i'm recording this later (laughs) um i am preparing our episode next week where we'll have clips from some of the other racers and i just got done talking to the race directors uh reed delman and kyla cladel and um they decided to offer a 25 percent discount for anybody who signs up for this race next year um on ultra sign up so if you are listening to it and you're like whoa this sounds like something I want to do um head over to ultra sign up look up Deseret's Coco Kokopelli stage race and uh, during checkout type in Ward w-a-r-d and you'll get 25 percent off which for a six-day race uh, is a pretty significant amount of money so um, definitely do that if you're interested in the race also I told Phil Pinty that I would never shill for any products <laughs> on this podcast. Uh, and it's just ironic that I'm gonna do so on episode he's on. But I think he would agree, um, this is something that I truly believe in and I think it's awesome and you know, if I can help people do it and if price was the one thing kinda of holding you guys back and this can help in any way. Um then i would like to help you guys because once you listen to the show you'll understand like desert rats seriously has meant so much to me and so much to phil uh over the last few years and uh the more people that can experience it the better in my opinion but all right so let's get started with the episode this is a long one buckle in uh it's a good one too though so let's get into it it's desert rats the sequel with Phil Pinty and Brady Menriquez.
1: I know. Um, So I was like, what should I say? What should be the first thing I say to Phil? I've been thinking about it. I've been mulling it over um,
2: and
0: mulling it over.
2: Yeah. Is it, is this a joke that's going to lead into Thomas (laughs) Mullins?
0: It is. Yeah. (laughs) I, I guess that's a good place to start. So Phil basically just told legends of Thomas Mullins the whole time we were at camp.
2: Oh, that's how we're gonna start this thing. <laughs> I thought I was gonna throw it in later.
1: He's like, "Hey, just drop this phrase," and I was like, "I don't really know where I'm going to, if I'm gonna be able to remember to do that." So I'm just gonna start out with. <laughs>
2: <laughs> definitely <laughs> a good. A definitely good
1: icebreaker. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is this intent? What is Mulling it over uh,
2: reference? Uh, So last year on Desert Rats, uh, part one, I guess you'd say, there was a gentleman by the name of Thomas Mullins who uh, definitely received his share of accolades uh, this go-around. But uh, this gentleman, Thomas Mullins, um, uh, a Texan born and raised, I believe, um, was just a true gentleman through and through and not only an outstanding ultra runner, um, just a great – a heck of a guy – uh, and, um, really made last year's race. I I think what it was, uh, Chris referenced Thomas and my relationship on a previous podcast in regards to just our, uh, banter back and forth. And, um, I, I just think that the people that we meet sometimes on our journeys, you know, people may think tall tales are being spun or, you know, that didn't really happen or anything like that. And, um, not to resort too much back to our last podcast in regards to rituals and such. But, um, although Thomas wasn't there a part of this year's journey, he definitely uh, played a part in boosting morale and just keeping us on the right, on the right path.
0: Yeah. I think we were talking at camp, like the way Thomas just came into camp and like unified everybody right away last year kind of bled over into the way, at least the way we were approaching the whole event, you know, and just, like, going into it, like, looking for a good time and a fun time around camp and things you know, like that. So it's like
1: – Well, you told yeah. me about, like, the that first time, that first go-around, I think the couple of days afterwards when we talked. Um, the thing you mentioned and you kept saying it over and over again, was like, the first time I walked up to the group, there's, the mood was set. As soon as someone cracked a joke, like, the mood was set for the whole time and it set up the culture of the group that was there. And, uh, yeah, that sounds like it was <laughs> – were bled into the next year, even it sounds like. Like that must have been a hell of a intro, whatever that yeah.
0: was. Yeah, it was like Phil picked up the reins from or Thomas <laughs> and just like ran into the event just ready to go.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Paul Paul, Chris, and my relationship coming into this rats having done it previously, like I, I don't think we really gave it all too much thought, but in a way, we were taking the knowledge and the experience that we gained doing it the year previous. And it was kind of our role or responsibility to then relay that information to the rest of the pack. And mm. um, I really think that this year, although it was a smaller group, it was much more intimate. It was much more personal. And yeah. I- I'd say by like day two, we were like a fully functioning little community. Like it was, it was the feeling was I, not to take anything away from last year's experience, but I feel like it was a lot more kind of electric or they were there was something there was something about this year's group
0: yeah well let me even say this like to flash forward way to the end um at the end of the race there's this big party at stiffy mcstiffs or whatever eddie mcstiffs (laughs) we just keep calling it stiffy mcstiffs but it's it's this restaurant it's called eddie mcstiffs anyways um everybody got there like 30 (laughs) minutes beforehand um like everybody the crew the racers probably like 20 of us right and you see this group of people who had just spent 6 days together camping sweating hurting joking all that stuff um and now they're back in society in this restaurant <laughs> yeah. and we didn't want to be apart like that was the feeling i got it was like we just didn't want to leave each other at that moment and so phil and rachel <laughs> were in a booth like having dinner and then a couple of us showed up and we just barged into the booth and then a couple more and a couple more. And all of a sudden there's like 20 people standing around this one booth Uh in this restaurant. And like, it's It's, a crazy
1: scene for just anyone that was just happened to be patronizing that place. Exactly. It's happening over what do you see this?
0: Yeah. And if you look at this group of people, right? Like it's, it's this bizarre looking group of people, right? But none of us wanted to be a part. And it was that fe- it's that feeling that you formed throughout the week, and I can't. I know we talked about it a lot last year, but like I cannot reiterate. Like that is the reason to do this race: is the friendships you make and the bonds you make with everybody, not just the other racers. Mm-hmm.
1: Can I jump back to like way? I want to go a little bit chronological order. If that's yeah, cool. That's cool. You got to hang out like the couple of days beforehand. I mean, based on Facebook, Um, (laughs) I have to imagine that, like, two dudes wired like you guys don't get to, like, meet up with each other that often. And I have to imagine, uh, also, that had to be a big part of, like, the group that you were with during this experience. These are all people that are, are wired a little differently than the average person that goes out and just, like, runs day to day. So to be around that group had to be extra special, too. But how was it hanging out the the days beforehand, prepping for it? Like, what did you guys? So you guys like did some sightseeing, did some running? Like, how was that? Uh, the couple days leading up to it.
0: So basically, Phil came out, uh, flew into Denver, stayed at my house for like three or four days. Um, we went hiking. We took the baby. We did two men and a baby, which was great. <laughs> nice. um, he got a witness like everybody with my, my four-month-old uh, Millie. Everybody like goes up to her and just plays with their toes randomly yeah. like strangers and you're like what is going on um, <laughs> okay. but yeah man it was just honestly feel like it was incredible just having you around like we talked for like hours at a time like we probably talked from like like the day we recorded that last podcast we talked from like eight in the morning to like 10 o'clock at night nonstop, the whole entire day just one long rambling conversation and uh-huh. I know for me, like that was super special, just kind of having you and like hanging out and having dude time, uh, which, you know, it, it meant, it meant a lot, which was super cool.
2: It it meant a lot to me as well. And like, I mean, like we touched on the last podcast, the the pre-race podcast, uh, so much of the important things that we do in life, like, aren't just the event themselves. They're the preparation, they're the thought and consideration that go into it. And like, you know just thank you again for letting me stay with you and your family and you know whether it was acclimation in regards to just being out in Colorado um just being there and and being with you kind of settled the nerves and got me mentally prepared for what we were about to go out on like it wasn't for a lot of folks I can imagine it's um you're doing this thing, you kind of feel like you're going into it by yourself. And the fact that like you and I knew that, you know, we in a sense, I mean, it's not like you're going to war or something, but you know, we had each other's backs and like, you know, we're packing together. We knew what we used the previous year, what we didn't make too much use of. So it was just nice to have someone else to kind of like bounce things off of, so.
0: Yeah, yeah, and then when we got to Moab, well, first we, it was like a five hour drive. We had to stop and pee like six times. (laughs) <laughs> because the year before both of us felt dehydrated day one and we're like dude it's not happening again we're not getting dehydrated so every like 45 minutes we'd have to stop but it was like whatever man road trip right uh but we got there i do
2: had, I had my uh my road trip kombucha supply was was stocked. so
0: phil is obsessed with kombucha by the way but uh okay. So we get there though. And, you know, we walk around Moab for a little bit and then we, um, I just, we called Paul, our other buddy who did it last year. And we just, I just remember seeing him walk out of the hotel room and it's like, you're seeing this legend come at you, you know, like this is like (laughs) person you've thought about all year because you hadn't seen him. You know since the last desert since we were last covered in dirt and mud and all that stuff and all of a sudden he comes out of his hotel room and just waves at us and i like all of us like i just got so excited right away i was like this is gonna be awesome man
1: how many other people did you guys race with that you had raced with the year before paul anyone else
0: (laughs) okay so there was a a woman liz she raced the year before she was back for round three um and it was, it, we we went out to dinner. We're sitting there eating spaghetti. Paul and Phil are classy. So they're splitting a glass of wine or a bottle of wine together. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and all of a sudden, like, we're talking about desert rats. We're talking about the race. And we look over to the right of us and at the table right next to us is Liz. She's like, hey. And we're like, whoa, come on over. And she like joins our table and stuff. So it was just it really interesting. And then that night you go to the pre-race meeting, And the whole crew is the same crew as the, the year before. And, um, Mm. when I talk about this race to people, that's the thing I'm, I really try to let them understand. Uh, if I go to a normal ultra race and I'm going into the aid stations, like I'm polite and you know, it's nice to see aid station workers, but in general, like I don't really know who they are. Right. Like they're just kind of like random people. And you're like, oh, it's super nice that you're here. Thank you for this, blah, blah, blah. Um, but at Desert Rats, since you camp with the crew and you hang out with the crew and you're, you're friends with like the med crew and the chef and everybody, right? Um, when you're going, like when you're running through the day or, you know, day one, day two, when you're doing those long runs, you're genuinely excited to get to the aid station because your buddies are there. Does that make sense? Like, you're like, oh man, like one of the, uh, the EMTs, um, on day two, I knew he was going to be at the last aid station. His name was Damon. Uh, and so I told him like, dude, you're my goal. Like, I want to get to Damon today. You know, <laughs> it, it's cool, man. It's like this weird, unique experience that most races do not have. It, uh,
1: it's because you get to know them because you probably, I mean, you don't get to know them during the race, but like the times that you're not racing, you're camping, right? Like yeah. you're. And you're taking care of camp together, taking care like getting things set up. I don't know. Like, I don't know what, like, where do you get an opportunity to actually like, uh, get to know these folks when yeah. you're not, facing? like, what, like, what is the, you're all making uh, dinner together or you're eating together? Like when is it, what are you guys actually like visiting?
0: Yeah. So here's the thing, like desert rats, you're either running or sitting in a camping chair. Like that's pretty much it. Right? Yeah. Like, you're either running through the desert or you're sitting your butt in a camping chair and, like, shooting the shit, basically. And so during those moments, like, obviously, like, the people who are who are the crew, like, they ha- all have their individual roles, whether that's setting up camp. Uh, this girl, Erica, was, was kind of, like, in charge of setting up camp, and she was incredible. Um, and But then they're all taking turns sweeping the course, too. So they're the people that are behind everybody to make sure no one gets left out there you know if anyone's in the back of the pack struggling they're there to kind of like help them and encourage them and things like that um but yeah most of the time like the chef this year was named howard like the coolest dude in the world uh and (laughs) and phil you just made a you did a facebook post where you like the rules of stage racing is get to know the chef
2: (laughs) yeah yeah Reed, Reed's, uh, five rules are stay on the trail, stay on the trail, stay on the trail. Uh, just be, he's afraid of guys getting lost in the wilderness, but uh, my, my rule to add to that is just make friends with the chef and you'll, you'll have a great week.
0: (laughs) But like, dude, Brady, this was the coolest thing in my opinion is even Howard had an inspiring story. You know like the chef you know he has this inspiring story like he recently had um uh closed down his restaurant of 20 years just because he was like you know like I wasn't super happy with the way everything was going now like I was just kind of going to work in robot mode and I wanted to change the pace and mm-hmm. so he shuts down his restaurant he like starts kind of doing his own thing where he has his like portable pizza oven which is super cool right but then it leads him to this weird like race in the middle of the desert where he's going to be camping with everybody braving lightning storms braving wind storms and he's going to be cooking food for these like starving ultra runners every day and he even like he even mentioned like I didn't know what to expect. Like this was outside his comfort zone Uh just as much as it was outside all of our comfort zone.
1: So it's like an interesting like challenge for him too to like yeah, take that on. That's cool. Yeah,
0: exactly. And so it's like, dude, you come into camp and you see Howard. He's one of the first people you see, and you're just like so I can't describe how excited you are. And he was the best, dude. He was, like, so cheerful and, like, energetic and, motive. like, he would motivate you and all this. And he would pour me a glass of milk after every stage, which is
2: great. <laughs> is, that your, is that your recovery? I, I think that's a thing to relay as well to, like, kind of piggyback on what Chris is saying. Like, uh, you know, Reed Reed Delman's the race director. Uh, he's got his brother Glenn out there as well. We got Kyla. We got Howard the chef. Uh Erica who was in charge of setting up base camp. Um you got Damon, Corey. Um
0: who's the other female medic. Yeah, Andrea was the Andrea in charge of everything. Gordon
2: out there rocking out on his guitar. And, you know, the racers, the runners are the ones quote unquote putting in the work or having the full days. But I mean the the crew and the staff and the volunteers out there, they're out there from zero five hundred hours till ten PM, eleven PM, you know they're they're putting in probably just as much work as we are. The thing about camp is like they're getting just as much enlightenment out of it as we are you know like they're yeah. on the energy that we're we're putting out and you know just to get us into an aid station and out of an aid station and you know you could just really feel it I mean I you feel it at all races but like it, there's just something to be said about this desert rats race i mean I, I you can't even really put it into words yeah. and actually before i don't want to steal any lightning from chris but I just want to give a shout out to morgan to ricardo to kayla to paul to allison teresa ola Lori, and elizabeth um and especially if i can just give a shout really quick ola westerman um this was her third attempt at the desert rats race and I'm gonna jumble the days, whether it was day two or day four, but that was kind of like her white whale. And um, mm. after three attempts at this desert rats race, Chris and I got to witness Ola finishing her desert rats race. Chris,
1: and Chris, then, Chris sent me yeah. a couple of pictures that, like ahead of time, um, like over the last week, like basically teasing different things. Is this? the picture of like the tunnel of people and the woman running through the tunnel. There's a
0: couple. So the story, the next person Phil's about to mention like both (laughs) of them were like, I mean, think about that dude coming back a third year to get it done. And you're right. I think I can't remember what days she dropped. It might've been day two and day four in the past Mm -hmm. in different years. Yeah. Yeah. But like to come back, Like, think about the bravery that entails, because you know how hard this is going to be. You know the hard work you're going to have to put in, and to come in and I'm not sure how close they cut it on the last day, but like, she looked strong the whole entire time, man. I'm like, I don't even know. I know she's like her foot hurt a little bit, but I'm like, dude, I don't even think she struggled mentally. (laughs) I think mentally she was like, "This is getting done this year."
2: I think there's two. I think there's two photos on, on the interwebs floating around Evola. I think picture she put out, but one of them she's coming through the tunnel. I think it's daytime. Yeah, Paul giving her a look like you go, girl. Um, <laughs> I want to say it was day two, and then she posted on her page coming in at nighttime and it's dark. I mean it's eleven. Oh, 9, I don't think I know that. And um, and then also Lori, Lori Miller, really quick, um, has a story to be told, I'm, I will not take the liberty of sharing her story. Um, her and I had a lot of, um, a lot of time to convert. and, and this woman here, um, you can check ultra sign up. I'm not going to mention her age or anything like that, but, but this woman just had something, she had something to be done at desert rats and and she did it and she crushed it. And, um, something that really meant something to me i mean it all meant a lot to me but uh yep. my my day four day thursday crushed me crushed my spirits last year and i came in at eleven forty one pm <laughs> and um the inspiring thing for me was that she told me that in a way i was her inspiration to beat my time from last year and not only did this woman do this she came in like you know 11 30 or something she just she just crushed the whole the whole race and I mean <laughs> on any given day it can be your day um, but you I, I could tell from the beginning she was set out to do something and she she did just that so I mean Lori and Ola I feel like Chris I'm not gonna take away from, from your story or how you placed or anything like that I'll let you have that honor but um, I think if there was like an iron person of this race uh, it would be it would be a toss up between Ola and Lori.
0: 100 percent and like them crossing the finish line on the last day was mm-hmm. hands down my favorite moment of the race um Absolutely. i yeah. told them i was like i had my sunglasses on i'm like thank god i had my sunglasses. Like, i was crying like crazy like i was yeah. just so genuinely excited that they they made it you know and like mm-hmm. i never had any doubt in my mind that they were they were going to but because like you said dude they were on a mission and they just like conquered it every single day but yeah, man, that's that's the thing that you leave with, and that's the kind of the thing that you show up for is you you become inspired by all these other people who surround you throughout the week.
2: No. There, there's a race. Um, there's a race in South Africa called the Comrades Marathon, and um, I I believe it's more than a marathon. I'm not I'm not an expert on the matter. It is on Rachel and my bucket list. Um, but from what I understand about this race is there's like up years and there's down years some years it's run they alternate every other year so one year it's an up year the other year it's a downhill year and um the thing about comrades is they celebrate the last finisher more than they celebrate even the first person across the finish line Mm -hmm. so you know if the cutoff is 1600 hours which would be four o'clock sorry for the military time um you know they close (laughs) the, the cattle gate and that last person in is hoisted on shoulders and is cheered and revered and all these is revered the right word? Am I, 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 no, I that's right. It. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to me that, that is what makes desert rats such an awesome race. Um, it's not, it's just, you're, you're seeing people, I, I want to do this as eloquently as possible, but there's times they, they stagger the, the starting time sometimes. Like if you finish in the, in the front of the pack on a certain day, the next day, you'll start mm. in the back wave. So um, the thing I love about that is on any given day, you, you're gonna be running with other folks. And not that we feed, you know, not to relate back to Goggins or something like that, but he says something effective, when he's running a race, he likes to look people in the eyes because he can steal their soul. And and I mean, that's a little dramatic to me. <laughs> but when I'm, when we're running these races and we're running with other people, uh, you know, I don't. I don't mean to get too personal or, or mentioning names or something, but like sometimes if you see somebody and they're they're really going for it, they're really digging deep, maybe even struggling, it can, you can internalize that and say, "I feel like crap right now too," but I'm not as bad as. And I, I don't mean any disrespect by that, but I mean like, I think it's really great. There, there's something to be said when you're doing an athletic event with other people and you're it's a shared suffering, mm-hmm. right? You're not just doing it by yourself. When when I came to Denver the days prior to desert rest to hang out with Chris, there was a shared confidence in knowing that we were gonna be doing this thing together and we weren't gonna be going into it alone. And if we were in the tent or if it was 10 minutes before the starting gun and he needed a gel or he needed water or he needed something like, you know, it, it's just this shared thing that you don't get at many other races. and it's just it's a it's a really great thing. I mean, I, I, I there's not more I can say about it other than it's just it's, it's awesome. So,
1: I I want to like uh, can you guys just go what was uh, day one, real quick?
0: Yeah. So day one is uh, you start at in Loma, Colorado, and you run. I mean, t- the t- like the scenery in this race, Brady, is insane like no day is like the other it, every time you turn the corner it's a completely different view and you would think to yourself like oh they're running through the desert like i know what the desert looks like you don't know what the desert looks like yeah. <laughs> Seriously, I'm you tell seriously it's insane man like every day is beautiful in its own way and day one you're running next to uh um you're basically running on this mountain bike course in fruta colorado and you're just kind of weaving back and forth over this canyon, and below is the Colorado River, which you'll run by a lot of times during the race. Um, but I—I I mean, I'm not even—I'm not good at this. Phil, well, how would you describe it, dude? <laughs> this one: mesas, vistas, plateaus. There no,
2: go. yeah. Day one. Day one. Uh, you know, I know Chris and I have made references to like Indiana Jones or something, um, but. It, the river you're running on the top of a plateau or something and it's along the colorado river and the colorado river has just over time you know erosion and all those things but it's you're doing these kind of switchbacks where all these s turns and stuff and you can see other runners ahead of you or behind Mm, you yeah i know what you're talking about oh absolutely majestic of just you know you're running on a trail which two feet to the left you would just tumble off a 300 foot drop you know it's just mm-hmm. it's, it's 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 crazy insane
0: yeah and then eventually you get to this bridge you cross this like creek under you um, and basically from there it kind of turns into more of a dirt road well you have this super long climb which is kind of tough and then it turns into a dirt road and then you kind of cruise the last like five or six miles into camp which personally like I found that the hardest miles that day. Like, I don't know why day one, both years has kind of kicked my butt. Like at the end, I'm like ready to be done. And then you look at the miles that happened later in the week and you kind of laugh to yourself. You're like, why would it like a 20 mile day? That's nothing. Right. Which is ridiculous to say, even out loud, but for some reason that first day, I think you're like adjusting to like just being on race mode. Um, it kind of kicks your butt, but it was cool, man. I like passed antelope antelope, like leapt by. Yeah. I was like, what is going on? But, um, yeah, man, it was, it was cool. And then the, the, like, honestly, like the more eventful story unless Phil had like a really, well, I do remember Phil coming into an aid station singing cheeseburger in paradise and I just <laughs> on the podcast. Like that got stuck in my head, dude. And not, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, But that night, um, (laughs) we're just sitting around. You just, when you're sitting around, you're constantly eating food, basically. Yeah. And uh, a storm, like storm clouds start moving in. And I guess we should preface it by saying this. Every year, Reed Delman, the race director says, um, it is pre-race speech. He's like, there are hot years and there are hotter years. And then he goes on to tell you if it's a hot year or a hotter year. But now he's going to have to be like, there are hot years, and there are hotter years, and then there was 2019.
1: There was <laughs> one year. <laughs> yeah.
0: It was pleasant. Um,
1: <laughs> I had it written down. I was just like, I, I know you guys had unseasonably cool weather, like just like, in, in, like kind of idyllic running weather, I think. And maybe you had like a hot day in there. Um, but I know I, just from the – I don't know everything that happened uh, while you guys were out there, but I do know you had – some kind of a wind storm uh i, I read a couple of race reports paul is a beautiful writer <laughs> and,
0: that is his job yeah
1: <laughs> okay that well that would make sense then because that was i was like wow this is a great uh, way of describing a scene i can see exactly what's going on uh <laughs> lightning storm so what is that right in the beginning that first night yeah or?
0: so yeah so we're all hanging around the the camp eating food and there are these big clouds in the distance and uh Corey, one of the EMTs, is like, I think it's going to miss us. They're like, okay. And then five minutes later, just lightning starts hitting everywhere around us. Like, he has a picture of a map. with, Yeah, he has a picture of a map with the storm. And it's like, I'll send it to you later, but it's basically like a giant storm up here, a giant storm down here, and then our camp in the middle, (laughs) right in the middle of it. And uh, so we all like hopped in cars. And um, yeah, we started like, basically they're just like hey you need to get in a car because that's like has the rubber to the oh
1: it's grounded it's grounded by and it's got rubber yeah you're a science teacher chris yeah
0: you know (laughs) but yeah dude so i jumped it was cool because it gave me an opportunity um so reed's brother glenn was in charge of aid stations but then he also was is a photographer he's a great photographer um you know, so I jumped in his car and we just hung out for like an hour. It was cool. So like, I got to know him a little bit better.
1: Was this scary? I mean, you just described like there's lightning strikes all around you, but like, was it
2: was it scary? <laughs> uh, if, if if I may interject myself first, <laughs> um, I, I I mean, in all seriousness, um, I I don't think there was any day de- any night that we were there that we didn't experience some sort of like meteorological uh unsettlement or something I don't know what I'm trying to say I'm not a meteorologist um but day one kind of set the stage in regards to we all kind of like sprung into action because uh it it was right around dinner time or right after dinner time and the wind really started to pick up and uh the Deseret staff and volunteers they set up very very cushy very nice they set up tents and um for us at the end of the night, and they had kind of like a canopy on them that was fastened down. And as the wind picked up, it was starting to blow the canopies and almost blowing these tents over and stuff. And, you know, Chris and I, and many others, we all kind of sprung into action and kind of helped each other out. You know, Reed's pulling out all these Navy knots, you know, out of his sleeve and stuff like that and making accommodations to hunker down these tents and stuff. And I mean, I'm not not blowing that out of proportion, but yeah. that was day one, and Chris and I almost looked at each other and were like, you know, did we jinx ourselves by saying, you know, oh, nothing's going to change between last year and now? And it was like a completely different experience. Uh, I mean, the weather—we had wind, we had lightning, we had thunder. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but um, on the marathon day, on the last day, that last night, I, I will say some of that for later on in the podcast. But when we started our marathon day they took a temperature at the start or something and it was like 42 degrees or something in the middle of Moab desert and, yeah. and we're right. you know, we experienced the summer solstice out in moab utah and it was like 42 degrees we were freezing so it, was just, it was a yeah. crazy crazy week yeah
1: what i know i there was like one race report said um, someone said something about complaining that it was too cold at nade's <laughs> uh i i assumed the desert would get cold but yeah that was the whole the whole run-up for the first race that like that's pretty much all i wanted to ask you about was like how are you going to handle this heat you're worried about blacktop the section of the race that was on blacktop and how hot it would be and this year like did you shiver
0: yes (laughs) yeah (laughs) for sure yeah well i gotta say like so phil and i both we cut like five hours to, I can't remember like five hours sure. off of our time, um, from last year. And I, a lot of it had to do with us kind of going in knowing what to expect, but a lot of it also had to do with the, it had to have done like the, the weather, you know what I mean? Like day I mean, two. I, I yeah. definitely,
2: day, I definitely think so. I mean, it's just, I don't want to say heat exhaustion or heat stroke, you know, I, I don't want to get to that level of severity, but, um, even at the hottest moment during this year's race, I'm like, I didn't want to, I didn't want to jinx, like I said, I don't want to jinx anything in the moment, but I'm like, it never felt, it was hot, but it was never like too hot,
0: you
1: Yeah.
2: Know? No.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, man. Well, what piece of equipment or what piece of gear did you bring for the heat that just stayed in your bag the whole time?
0: <laughs> I brought one of those desert hat things that like draped out across yeah. your neck and I never used it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: The, the the Desert Rats staff last year uh, got hats donated by one of the local businesses or something like that. And there was like this old, you know, it, it'd be something like a 60 or seven year old woman would wear to a day at the beach. It was like this <laughs> big white floppy hat. And um, so what I did was I took some safety pins and I constructed, that's, what that, that's the cowboy hat that I was wearing in, in homage to the Miss <laughs> Thomas Mullen but that's awesome that hat came in great handy and also um just anything like a uh um a buff or a handkerchief just to keep you know i I don't have allergies too much but like a lot on those uh long and dusty roads you want to try to keep some of that dust out of your mouth and nose so
1: can i ask like in terms of race prep phil like Mm -hmm. can you talk about race prep in terms of fashion fashion (laughs) do you probably do you plan out your days like yeah, day two, macho man. You guys don't even know. Day yeah. three, yeah. cowboy hat. <laughs> I think <laughs> American I, flag <laughs> booty shorts. <laughs> they don't even know what's coming for them. <laughs> yeah. what, what, what is the the prep for fashion? Uh huh. For desert rats. I,
2: I think I think honestly, and I'm being I'm being truthful here. When it comes to desert rats, I I really kind of dial back the whole persona and dial I mean it's still some flavor I mean Chris can attest to that you know those
0: little denim
2: (laughs) those little denim numbers I was wearing on day two or whatever but can um, I say
0: this can I say this Phil um how do I say this I hated Uh, I hated that you were leaving but I like to watch you go (laughs) yeah you hated to
2: see me run away but uh yeah I think you nailed it you nailed it (laughs) You know, there's a, there's a balance of and it goes along the lines of anything that people wear you know the the brand name stuff or or whatever and you ultimately just on, on some days i i did just wear the green on green skivvy shorts that i wear in the military and it's it's a short it's almost like a runner short that military folks or at least in boot camp you'll wear that like under your your utilities under your camouflage mm-hmm. and there's a built-in you know liner in there and and those are as good as any other running short but Um, I think whatever, whatever stokes your fire, you know, like whatever I I understand that, like what I do for running or what I do to prepare myself is probably not what the, what the average runner does. But when I, whether it's desert rats or whether it's the Hershey half marathon or whether it's the Marine Corps marathon, I I feel for me, and maybe I, I need to see a psychologist or something, but I feel like I, I, I take on this persona and it really helps me during the journey. You know, like it's mm. it's someone preparing. You know, like the the New Zealand All Blacks before they go into a rugby battle, they they do their mantras, they do their dance and stuff like this. And I I just feel like for me, and, and that's not everyone's jam. I I understand. I mean, I, not that they don't understand that, but I understand some people can just throw on some New Balance shorts and you know mm-hmm. an ultra shirt and they're they're good to go. But I can relate. Um, yeah. Like
1: I don't know, I don't know about you guys, but like just like high school sports. Uh, If it was game day, I had like the ritual of the morning, the day of, and it was a different like mindset, especially like, you know, more intense, like a football game or something um, versus like a track meet or something. But Mm
0: -hmm.
1: yeah, I can understand like flipping into a whole different mode of like, this is the mode where I win. This is where I like, I bear down. Yeah. So, you know, I you want to
0: say it, yeah. I've compared yeah. it to like putting on your superhero costume. You know, mm-hmm. when I put a, a bandana on to go out trail running, all of a sudden I'm like, I'm in that mode, I'm in that mood, I'm ready to go.
2: Mm. David, David Goggins refers to it as Goggins, like he just goes. I should be a spokesperson for David Goggins, <laughs> but you know, he, he refers to it as just going Goggins, and that's going to like this next level. And for me and i think for some other folks you know ultra running and chris and i have touched on this before like when we put ourselves in these circumstances where we're pushing ourselves to the limits where we need to kind of for for me if i can only speak for myself like when i need to plan in regards to how much water am i carrying how much food am i carrying you know you know especially for desert rats there's a there's an itemized list of things that we need to take with us and mm-hmm in the last couple of years, I've kind of gone through this, this stage or this, this metamorphosis where I kind of need to like relearn, you know, accountability, relearn responsibility, relearn, you know, what do I need to get through the day or the week? And, um, you know, I know when the weekend comes, that's my time to regroup and and whatnot. But, um, it's just, for me, it's, it's helping me kind of, get back on my feet again. And um, if you, I read a quote the other day that not every day you'll be painting masterpieces. Some days you just need to paint. Mm-hmm. And and what I really love about that quote is like, not every day is a success. Not every day you're crushing it. Not every year you get a promotion. You know, you're not always in the in this social media world where everything's just great, grand and wonderful and people are sharing this and sharing that. Like, that's not an everyday real life and if i can do things where i say to myself i got myself through desert rats or we got the band back together and we're doing it again like it you you start to gain this momentum where if i got myself through this then i can get myself through the next challenge and that that's really i think the biggest takeaway for me personally
1: i think the thing i'm most intrigued about but i feel like this would go down to go down a deeper rabbit hole that like maybe you want to talk about day two first, but like, (laughs) but, (laughs) but what I'm like, most interested in is, is where does your mind go? And I know it's everywhere and nowhere at the same time. Mm. That's 100%
0: true. Yeah.
1: Like it, it, and you come away with like, I, you know what I'm going, you come away with, I'm going to change this about my life or I realized on this run that this is a demon that I need to just like confront or, and I know that gets, this gets like super personal to talk about any of that, but that is like the, the biggest mind trip to me is that you come away with lessons and real raw realities of like what you've been doing, what you want to do and where those things are not on the same level. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and obviously like, I don't want to, like Phil said, I don't want to speak for anyone but myself. But yeah. um, those long endurance uh, events that I've done, starts to touch on that. I got to imagine this is, is a, a different frequency or a notch above in terms of just difficulty. So what it could bring out h- could be pretty raw and hard to deal with. And I had to imagine, like, did either of you shed tears on the trail while running? Like, all the time?
0: You think of everything, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you're thinking of nothing. Um, I was joking back at camp, like during the long day, I just kept getting like little snippets of songs in my head and I would just repeat it over and over and over again, you know? Um, and and I, don't, like, I don't know if that's normal and I don't know if that's me going insane, but that's what I would do. <laughs> yeah. I would just be like, uh, feeling like a million bucks. You know, i don't know like that was some song i was listening to i was like oh i feel like a million bucks and then i was like highway to hell highway to hell but that for like two hours straight um, <sighs> Ooh. but but it's just i mean it is to me like doing these long things without distraction it is a meditation like thoughts are constantly coming in constantly leaving Sometimes you get hung up on stuff for a little bit longer than others, but you get to the end and people are like, what did you think about? And you're like, I have no idea. Like, do you remember Homer Simpson where they went to his brain? And they were just <laughs> like, do, 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 Like, it kind of clears your mind after an hour or two, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, think, I think
2: what I experience is like the reverse of, um, you know, you, you hear the story where like some. Someone's driving in a car and it's, it's a drive you've always taken. It's a drive back home or something. And it's like an hour or two hour drive and and you get home and you're there with your folks or whatever. And you're like, I don't remember that the last two hours. I just went on like autopilot. And when you're running out there and you're just out in this desolate, barren desert and it's just you, you know, I can only speak for myself, but I mean, I felt like I could just let, and I, I think Chris touched on this, Um, his 100 podcasts where, you know, like he's, he's sharing his ups and his downs and everything. But you, if you've got anything that you've been holding on to like extra tight, like really, really, really tight. And you, you don't want to let your guard down and you don't want to let that out. Like, like for me, that was the fuel that I was burning that, if there was any memories if there was any experiences if there was anything that injured me or or scarred me or or made me who i am like i could go back and i could i could really really delve into it because when you're in my situation with with two young kiddos or with working or with i mean we've all got these things in our life but like you know it doesn't necessarily need to be desert rats it doesn't need to be a med- meditation retreat but like you know, when, when my, when my co when my colleagues and everything like that dolled me that they're like, bro, you're taking a vacation and you're going to Utah and you're going to run. And I'm like, yeah, but I mean like when, if yeah. you're going to the Bahamas or you're going on like a Disney cruise or something and it's just still go, go, go. And you're still checking in and you're still Wi-Fi. I, I know I'm, I'm guilty of it. I, I'm guilty of it, but you know, I think everyone needs to kind of just experience this walkabout experience yeah. because we, we come into this world and like we don't get to choose who our folks are we don't get to choose what social class we're born into or what continent we're born on or anything like that and like you're just given all these rules you're given all these guidelines and in order to be successful or in, in order to be happy you need to check these certain boxes and like that's not for that's not everyone's case like yeah. it's not a one size fits all yeah. and I think for me personally, like, you know, not that I'm going through some sort of like midlife crisis or something, but um, to just be out there and to be able to, cl- to clear your mind and just whatever needs to be, whatever internal discussions you need to have or whatever goals you want to achieve or anything like that, it just gives you that time and space. <clears throat> I think yeah. when you have those internal
1: discussions and, and when you like confront those things, what happens is you start to like approach your, that day to day mundane of the life that that we all just try try to get by like you you get to approach it from a different angle now like you just get a little bit of a different degree or different shading or different texture on what otherwise would have been just day to day and it is through that like internal work it's it feels like um someone does is averse to therapy it's like well I got something you do in like six days and <laughs> a completely different uh, outlook on what's going on.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're, we're paying Gemini read to, to, uh, to do this trip. And it's like, you know, are we, are we paying to go do desert rats or are we paying for like this, this therapy session? Um, I don't
0: know. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well, it is, it. it's, well, I guess what you guys are trying to say is like it put things, it puts, regular life into perspective, you know, like, uh, on day four, it it got really hot. Um, that was the one section. And for me, I don't know about you, Phil, but for me, it kicked my ass for like two hours. I was like in the second really long section of the day. And I just eaten. well to paint the picture, I guess. Um, I'm walking up this road uh, my vest is open like my was it, a, was it a
2: long and lonesome road
0: it was a long and lonesome road and <laughs> i just got through the onion creek aid station which is is a task to even get to that place and then you have to go 12 more miles after that and um my only goal was to eat this sandwich right and my hat is covered in mud because i just dipped that in water and i put it on my head to try to cool me but it's just like brown now um <laughs> My backpack's not even strapped up. I'm holding a bag of uh, one sandwich and uh, Nutella wrap in one hand, just kind of like limping along and like a quarter of a turkey sandwich with mayo and mustard just dripping everywhere. <laughs> hand, right? And Rita Kyla walk or like drive by at that point because they're driving down to the aid station. And I'm like, I look like a mess right now. You know what I mean? Like they probably have zero confidence in my ability to make it another 10 miles you know um but during that section it got super super hot all of a sudden um and all i could do was like look up and i could see snow covered peaks in the distance and it was like mocking me because it was like 95 degrees i'm like there's snow up there and it's 95 degrees this is the absolute worst um but like in that moment and i'm i'm trying to remember now that i just went on a rant i'm trying to remember a <laughs> point i was even trying to make so if either of you guys could bring me back to reality here <laughs> I, don't, I, don't
2: know, I don't know exactly where you were going with that correct no <laughs> but like I, did, I don't know. So that, did that seem like a, okay so this is what i think it seemed like
1: a pivotal moment like i was gonna ask could you say Oh, on the mile 12 that I will remember time and place on that one. It sounds like you walking, trudging, yeah. <laughs> mud covered hat, long, lonesome road. Like if you look back in terms of like high point, low point, potentially like a low point because of the heat, because of everything that was going on, you're like, that was rough.
0: So, so okay. You know, I, I remember the point I was trying to make physically, definitely a low point, right? Like I'm like wiped out. Um, but mentally what I started thinking of was something that I experienced every day in my everyday life. I was thinking of like, and this is like really cheesy. So I apologize for the cheesiness before.
2: Here we, here we go. Here we go. go.
0: Here we go. Um, (laughs) but I was thinking about like when my kids just grab my hand, you know, and like I have a four month old and basically all she could do is sit there and she like squeeze your hand with her or your finger with her tiny hand. Right. And so at that moment when i felt destroyed i was just thinking like how like how amazing of a feeling that is when your kid just squeezes your hand and it's kind of like them giving their energy to you through that moment and it happens all the time and like you know it becomes routine and you kind of forget about how special that is um but i don't think you should forget that you know it's it just brought up this idea of like that's special every single time that happens. And I can only hope that like over the next few years, I still think back to that long, long hot stretch in the desert where I realized how special of a moment that is between, you know, me and any of my kids. So, uh, I, I I guess what I was trying to say is like that brings doing something like this can bring the everyday regular routine stuff into perspective and make you just like a more calm, collected, uh, person in your everyday life.
2: Mm. Chris, Uh, I, I, I recant, I recant what I said previously, and that was extremely eloquent and beautifully stated. And, um, (laughs) no, I, I mean, how many, how many parents, myself included, you have all these little moments with your children, little tugs of your hand or, or hugs for no reason or anything like that. And like, we're not saying it takes doing something as dramatic as running this insane stage race through the desert, but I think it reflects on your character that that's what you reflected on when you were in that moment, you know, like it's in your times of desperation or need, or, you know, we were away from our kids and, and you were away from your wife and and the special people in our lives. And like, those are the things you go back to for strength and energy. So I, I think it was really, really beautiful, man.
0: Yeah. So that's what yeah uh that moment though like that honestly out of everything of like thinking about nothing um that is something i will hopefully like remember forever and ever
1: is is it kind of like trying to remember a dream where it just slips through your fingers you know what i mean like in the day of maybe you're like wow that was a big lesson i'm never gonna forget that and then by the end of day six or like today you go like what was that huge revelation on day one? I can't remember what was so darn important at that mile marker. I think but it was huge at the time. Yeah. You know, it just slips through your hands a little bit. Like,
0: I think the big thoughts stick with you, uh, but the th- millions of tidy thoughts that are just going in and out of your head like, just fade away.
2: I, I, I concur. And I mean, now that we're – it's it's the Sunday following desert rats like I don't know about Chris but this week you know easing back into work and everything like that like I've just kind of been like a little a little mopey and I I think you come away from these events like you've exerted yourself physically you've exerted yourself emotionally and and for some spiritually or something and um you know a week out it, it seems like it's all it was all a dream Like I'm like I don't I don't remember any of the exertion or discomfort or it's funny, your mind, I've said this multiple times about like boot camp or something, but you go through this crazy thing where you're just being deconstructed humanly. You you have to forfeit all of your personal belongings, your clothing, your wallet, and you're given a uniform and you're given, you know, you're rebuilt and everything. But when I look back at Camp or I look back at serving overseas, or I look back at these crazy adventures that we go on, like your mind has this way to kind of just look at it through through rose colored glasses. And you only, even the really dramatic, you know, we're, we're almost an hour into this thing now. So um, what what, what day is this is day three and four you're saying, or day four or five. So Friday is a, is a freebie day, like a beach day. And this year was like extremely cool. So, um, some folks, where'd you guys go, Chris?
0: We went to uh, Fisher Towers and (laughs) we got off the van and walked maybe like 20 feet onto a rock and sat there and ate uh, Ruffles potato
1: chips.
0: (laughs) And Paul and I were looking at these like beautiful rock structures and we were trying to like imagine what like the ancient people thought, like what did that one say? Like what did they think it was? And then we thought one of the rock structures looked like a jet ski, so we started like worshiping a jet ski basically i don't know so that's what we did
2: (laughs) yeah so i on i on the rest day just took a a a well-needed nap and just kind of like hung out around camp and everything like that but um so friday night leading into saturday was the marathon day the final day of the race and you know through this week of wind and storms and all these things uh friday night some heavy storms rolled through and Lori, uh, one of our fellow runners actually ran into a situation where like her tent, you know, capsized and was trying to get out and was was screaming in the middle of the night for help and Chris and myself and Paul and many other, you know, runners, you know, came to her aid and were, were battening down the hatches were hammering stakes into the ground and everything like this and it was just, you know, it was just a crazy experience, and I don't I don't know exactly where I was going with that story. Other than it was yeah. just a wild, wild
0: time. So. I think that night was probably the biggest takeaway for both like crew and rudders. Um, this lightning storm hit again, and uh, luckily for me, I misinterpreted uh, Andrea's information about lightning. Um, <laughs> so when she said uh, six seconds equals one mile, which is true, that's what it is, right? i misheard and i thought she said one second equals one mile and so we're sitting in the tent and this giant like flash of light and then i count and it's like two and a half seconds and then like thunder hits and then in my mind i'm like oh that's two and a half miles away we're good um but later <laughs> the next morning they're like yeah that was like right at our camp and i'm like oh crap um but that night it's the last night in camp. Like think how exhausted everybody is at that point. We've been freezing all day. It, like the last day, basically, we huddled around a campfire in sweatshirts and sweatpants in a race of the desert. It was insane. We were so cold. Um, and then uh, and then at one point, we had to move under the tent because it downpoured, and we all sat around a citronella candle instead. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> trying to warm our feet over a citronella kit, um, but like, this is a group of people, like, everybody's exhausted, like Phil said, like, everybody's putting in the hard work, every single person. And, um, this windstorm hits in the middle of the night, and I could hear uh, Morgan and Ricardo in the next tent, they're like, their tents, the stakes just flew out of the ground, right? The wind blew it so hard they pulled the stakes out, and they're trying oh to like put stuff in their tent strategically to hold it down and everything. Um, And then all of a sudden we just hear uh, like, help me help. Someone please help me (laughs) basically. Like, and we all just get up instantly without thinking of it and not thinking about like how exhausted we are and how much our muscles are sore and all that stuff. And everybody at camp just sprinted out of their tents to go help another camper. And I think that, just kind of sums up desert rats like as an experience you know mm. later we laughed we're like hey we're the dumbasses who <laughs> when the wind was blowing over tents with only one person or two people in it we all just left our tent you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> like it could have blown. like our tent could have been flying away by the time we got back but um and then hilariously enough reed's like out there like duct taping uh erica's out there duct taping these tent poles that had like frayed and mm. as soon as they were done and we got back at our tent the wind completely died the rest of the night we we're like of course that's exactly how yeah. that
1: happens. it was that quick it was that just yeah. like it showed up and it went away that quick
0: yeah but i think that like that's the spirit of this race is like everybody's like is even calling it a race like i don't know man it's i mean you can, compete for sure I, but yeah, like let's can i
1: broach that topic real quick like yeah it once so I started to yeah, a little group text with you and the jabronis. And yes. uh, after day two, um, where it went, Oh, Chris just finishing first for the second day now. Like, at what point did like you leading the race how did that feel? Uh, uh what was that like?
0: it was a like, different experience for sure, like, totally unexpected. Not was it even like going into it, it wasn't on my radar, if that makes sense. Um, but the weather, like I just kept being like, if the weather's going to stay like this and it's going to give me this opportunity, like I'm actually going to run parts that I didn't plan on running like day two, um, the, it never got hot, dude. It was cloudy the whole entire time. And day two is like completely and totally exposed. Um, and how many miles, miles uh, it's supposed to be 38. They had to move the camp to 34 because of the colorado river is yeah. just completely flooded um and that made a difference too mentally because i'm like once i get to this aid station at mile 28 there's only six more miles not 10 more miles like last year which was brutal um but like the weather just kept cooperating and i was like well i'm gonna run like early on in the week i was like i'm gonna run faster if the weather s- stays like pleasant you know, because I thought later in the week, it was going to get hot. Um, And day two comes around. And at one point I thought this giant thunderstorm was going to hit us. And I was like, dude, I was looking around. We're on this stretch by this long stretch by a railroad. And I was like, if a thunderstorm and lightning hit right now, like where would you possibly go? There's nowhere (laughs) to go. And so I was like, I just got to like run faster so I can get to the aid station in time. And then luckily I ended up turning kind of south then and the storm avoided us completely but it was like i mean that honestly at the beginning of the week that was it was just this whole idea of like you prepare for these things right like you put in the work and you put in the hard work But there also has to be the opportunity there. And I was like, this is just preparation meeting opportunity. Like, I didn't expect opportunity to be there necessarily. And I know Phil and I talked before the race about the idea of um, not having expectations, but having acceptance, you know? Um, And I basically was like, I'm just going to accept the fact that I'm going to be able to run a little bit faster because of the clouds and the 70 degrees and things like that.
2: Yeah. No. Well, not to pat Chris on the back too much, but um, your your final day, the marathon day, you ran that in like four four hours and four minutes.
0: I can't remember.
2: <laughs> yeah. So I mean, uh, for most for most humans, I mean, um, you know, we're not elites as we've we've spoken before, but I mean, for anyone to run, you know, a four hour marathon or a sub four, for that matter, but um, you you just actually, absolutely crush the entire week and I, I don't to concur with what you're saying like i don't think you went into it thinking like oh i'm gonna be in infer you know your your goal wasn't to be the team leader or the pack leader every day it was just when you put in the work and when you prepare and you get yourself to that level we couldn't control the weather and and you know they can't put an asterisk and also ultra sign up and say well this wasn't a hot year this wasn't a hotter <laughs> year it was yeah. comfortably clear like they're not going to do that and I, I think I brought it up during the final dinner that, like, it doesn't matter what the weather was. It doesn't matter what Mother Nature had in store for us. We prepared – when we signed up for the race, we were we were subjecting ourselves to run through the Moab Desert in the middle of June, yep. you know. And um, I, I just – I feel like I was kind of like a personal governor for you because there were many days I'm like, yo, Chris, you know, you might – I didn't want you to – not give it your best. I just wanted to ensure that like your wheels didn't fall off because I'm I'm well attuned to my wheels falling off.
0: So, yeah. Anyway. Well, and then there's the whole like coming back and doing it the second year. You understand the dynamics of the days. And day four is like you gained what like eight thousand feet of elevation through the day. So day four is yeah. mostly hiking. And that that's usually different muscles that you'll use on day two. So I was like, day two is pretty flat the whole time, even though it's really long as well. But I was like, I'm going to run more on day two because I know day four is going to be mostly like most of the day is going to be spent walking on day four. Um, And the other thing I did that really helped me this year was as weird as this is for like, uh, to say on like a running race or whatever, um, when I was running, I wasn't really paying attention to my pace. I was just kind of like, you run the flats, you run the downhills, and you kind of like let that kind of like guide how fast you're going. Yeah. But as soon as I stopped to walk, that is when I actually became focused. Um, like race mode kind of thing. Because I was like, I got to walk at, I tried to walk at like a four mile an hour pace. And so it was really weird, like it's a weird Thing, but it was kind of what I was thinking. My strategy was going to be coming in was when I'm walking, then be really extremely focused that you're hitting that four miles an hour, or at least trying for it. Because I I know I didn't hit it all the time, but um, that way, because when you when you walk, you know it can actually like imagine the difference of a three and a half mile walk mile per hour walk versus a four mile per hour walk over ten hours. You know what I mean? That's going to be a significant difference. That's really dirty. Sorry.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious, like from last year, I know one of the things that you planned ahead of time, or maybe you did execute this. It was like, I like think you said, I walked the uphills, I ran the downhills, like as a way of conserving your energy. Did you like use that strategy at all this year or no?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean that like, cause sometimes you're running the uphills and if they're so steep, you're only gaining like half a mile per hour, you know what I mean? Yeah. But you're wasting like a whole bunch of energy. So it's kind of like, and I learned this from the great Thomas Mullins, uh, <laughs> well,
1: while you were mulling it over,
0: while I was, I was mulling it over, <laughs> oh, but man. like that is, uh, it's significant over a long period of time, but I gotta say like the last few days, um, morgan who got second just like he became stronger and stronger and stronger throughout the week and the last day i was like man like he's a serious like fast runner like that dude's really fast and so a lot of the last days going downhill into moab and i was like i mean on like i do have i'm kind of competitive (laughs) a little bit and so that was in the back of my mind where i'm like dude morgan's just gonna zoom by me on this last day and And so that like in turn caused me to go probably faster than I was comfortable with, but I'm so grateful for that and for the opportunity to like race him because, um, it showed me what I'm capable of. And it showed me that I didn't burn out when, uh, when I was pushing harder than, than comfortable It's the whole, like, you know, you step outside your comfort zone and you see how much you you can grow from there. And you got like,
1: pushed, yeah, yeah got totally. Pushed. That's
0: awesome. And he's just like the <laughs> best dude in the world. And it's the weird thing in Desert Rats where it's like you're genuinely re- rooting for everybody, and you want everyone to do well. And so I was like, man, it would be super cool. Like Morgan, you know, if, <laughs> if asked me this last me, day, <laughs> that would be freaking <laughs> epic, dude. You know, you're too nice, man.
1: You're uncharacteristically nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's what That's Phil kept
0: right. telling me. Was
1: like,
2: not a bad, not a bad quality. Chris is the golden retriever of ultra running. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that is a spirit animal, man. Yeah, yeah but not, not not to take anything away from. Uh, I I know this weekend we just uh, we just witnessed, or at least some of us did, like you know west Western states, and um, I attribute Western states to kind of the Boston Marathon of ultra running, mm-hmm. and I, I mean I mean no offense by that by any means, but no. the the average runner is not a Jim Wamsley right like you know he he finished this thing in just over 14 hours and I can run 50 miles in about 12 hours so this gentleman I, I think he somebody posted or something he ran like an 829 or an 823 average mile over the course of 100 miles which that's is, is mind-boggling so right? crazy that's so <laughs> that's so ridiculous yeah. So the the thing the thing I love admire about ultra running is like when you think of like a, elite tennis players or elite golfers or anything like this, like at the end of the day, I mean, I, I'm not trying to build Chris and I up too too much, but at the end of the day, we're we're all ultra runners, right? And we're all doing we're doing the same thing. We're putting one foot in front of the other. Some of us are faster than others, yeah. right? But um. Somebody somebody said this and no, Chris, it was not Des Linden. Okay, buddy. It was Des. No, uh Somebody once said, like when you come into an aid station or something and you're not moving, you know, you're you're taking time, you're doing what you need to do, but you're not moving. Your miles per hour, your miles, your minutes or hours per mile are zero. They're zeroed. Yeah. And I don't mean to leak an ultra running secret or anything, but for the average human being who runs a 50 miler or a 50 K or a hundred miler for that matter, we are not in fact running the entire time. I'm sorry to break the news, but ultimately what I learned from Chris and what I learned from the, the infamous, the, the illustrious, the legendary Thomas Mullins are what Chris was alluding to earlier is that if you can hoof, if you can power hike 3.5 miles per hour, and if it's painful to run four miles per hour. I got to think about
1: that. I had just, I'm now realizing three and a half miles an hour is what like the leader was doing in
2: that. Per, well, any race. I mean, it could mean yeah. anything, but at some points for me, being a bigger guy, being a bulkier guy, um, if you can just power hike, if you can just ch- keep chugging, in many ways, you're gonna gain more ground in the long run because you're not hammering yourself, you're not beating yourself into the ground. And like, I've learned so many things. I mean, I think both Chris and I, you know, he just absolutely, to run this thing in like 24 and some change, awesome dude, insane. But both of us shaved off five, six hours a piece. And you know, That's crazy too. my takeaway is, if you're going to do something stupid or crazy or wild once, you might as well at least do it twice because you're going to come away with lessons learned from the first go around and you can apply them the second time around. And like I said, we had no idea the weather was going to be either as glorious or disastrous as it was. But um, I I don't think, you know, I think this race has been, Reed's been putting on 14, 15 years. He said the weather's never ever been like this. And I, I foresee it's going to be a long, long time that they ever get, Temperatures and stuff that they got this year
1: can, so. can I ask like so i mean that's in, that's really cool you guys get experience this race with that level of weather and like to get to run at that a percent of your capacity' is so much higher than probably you would have had to with the uh, the sun and the heat and all that, but it's still like the mechanics of it is still the same, it's still the same uh mileage and it's still your body <laughs> traveling from A to b. Like, I'm curious how you guys held up. Because I'm going to just say a bunch of words. I'm curious if any of them, like, ring a bell. Like, pain, did you ever slog? Did you ever, were you in the pain cave? Did you have blisters, your feet chafing? And then just joints, like, knees and hips. Like, all of those to me seem like could be some big factors in this. Like, how did your bodies hold up? even though you had the weather, you still have to like mechanically do all that. And your bodies can just have a bad damn day, you know? Yeah.
0: Well, I think there's regular pain that you get into ultra and you just kind of get used to that, honestly. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like, obviously like chafing uh, blisters, like that stuff that could seem small at first, but could like ultimately take you out. It's and- just, yeah,
1: that, that's what I mean. It, it seems so silly when you just say like, Oh yeah, I got a blister day to day. That's one thing, but in that scenario that's a game changer
0: yeah and i know uh Corey and david are the emts for the race and they're like wizards when it comes to taping up blisters and all this stuff um no one i i mean i don't know at least for what i saw no one really had any like really nasty ones uh i had a couple like tiny ones on my feet but nothing crazy there um chafing weirdly enough per, to get really personal um <laughs> I didn't chafe at all during the race, and then this morning I went on a bike ride and I've been chafing all day. <laughs> <laughs> so, just so, just so you guys
1: know, <laughs> thank you. I mean, thanks for letting us, you know, pretty
2: honest. Phil, how'd you hold up? Uh, no, so uh, Rachel, Rachel and I were both discussing this. My, my friend Rachel ran Desert Rats with me last year, and after that race, we were like broken, like we. Yeah. I mean we also did some stupid like we we had a fifty K like two weeks after Desert Rats and stuff like that. But it was just a, it was miserable and we're like we're never running again. Like why do we do this? You know, we need a new friends, we need a new hobby and all these things. <laughs> um this year I'm I'm not sure if you know, whether it's it's going a repeat entry to that pain cave or or like Chris and I were talking, like, was there a but, a button pushed in our our mind? that we were already there and, and you know, this is what it feels like or something. But, you know, but to, to go, I'm sorry to bring up Lynn and yet again, but like, you know, her, her mantra or her motto, you know, keep showing up. Like on any given day, you don't know what the weather conditions are going to be. You don't know what other competitors are going to be there. You don't know how you're going to be feeling or anything like that. So like, I think it it, it goes beyond just ultra running and just in, in life, you know, like if, if you're putting in for, a promotion or you're putting in for that gig or you're applying to a college or something like you don't know who your competition is so if you don't do it if you don't throw your name into the hat you're already removing yourself you know what i'm saying so like for me desert rats and for doing these things that at one time i thought were unobtainable or unachievable if you decide not to do them there's nothing wrong with that like don't beat yourself up i'm just saying don't remove yourself from the start, from the get-go, you never know unless you do it. And if you keep showing up, you, you may keep seeing results. You know, you're, you're in charge of what your threshold is and where you want to go or what you want to do. So.
0: Dude, I, I've been all week. I'm like, cause you know, I do the podcast and I'm like trying to get people to go out on adventures and things like that. But all week I'm like, I just want to shout it from the mountaintops, like go out (laughs) Have an adventure, like do something you didn't think was possible. And like, even if you show up at the start line and you're like, I don't think this is possible. Screw that, man. Like show up there anyways and find out for yourself. Because I bet you guys could like really prove to yourself that you can be stronger and do more than you ever personally thought you could. You know what I mean? Like there were moments in the race from every single person who did this um, where they proved to themselves that they were capable. Uh, and that's what I like, I thrive on. I love hearing when people say, like, hey, I didn't think I could do this, but then I realized I could. It's this total paradigm shift. And I want people to experience that so much. And whether that's doing Desert Rats or a stage race like this, or whether that's someone like, you know try to run under 20 minutes for a 5k or whatever i don't care like just go out and try something that you didn't think was possible for yourself and see what happens from there you know Mm -hmm. also i want to say my nose is completely stuffed
2: yeah you sound a little stuffy dude
0: (laughs) yeah dude it's gotten worse throughout the podcast (laughs) yeah that's what Lizzie came down and gave me a mucinex. So uh, <laughs> I went for a bike ride this morning and then just allergies like punched me in the face. Man. <laughs> and then Brady called me like an hour before this and he was like, Is your nose stuffed up? I'm like, oh yeah, good thing this is an audio format here. Audio medium. But I'm, like I'm, Des Linden really cool. says, like Phil's favorite human being on earth, Des Linden says, yeah. You just gotta keep showing up, man. Showing Even up. if your nose is stuffed.
1: Can I ask stupid questions about this experience? Because <laughs> I thought this whole podcast was a stupid question. <laughs> hey man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what were like repeat jokes that just like kept paying off when oh. of you guys like what were just like a one liner that you guys just kept repeating
2: throughout the week? I, if I, if I may, if I may interject myself, uh, I I don't know if there were too many repeat jokes, but, um, they say the best kind of jokes are the ones that you, you tell, you know, I, I told one previously and I'm going to tell it again, but I, (laughs) I, I want to say it was probably the first night and we were doing like introductions or something. And, uh, I, I said something to the effect of, you know, Chris and Paul and I are all back here again. We ran this race last year and I was like this race is especially meaningful to me because I get to do it with my dad and and I pointed to Paul and uh some may say it stuck some may say it landed but I I I just you know I think it landed well it's it's um it's kind of the relationship that Paul and I have and maybe I maybe I force myself upon him or maybe I I batter him with uh with with jokes and stuff, but that was just kind of the atmosphere between between Paul and I for the
0: week. They got into a like really heated argument about Christopher <laughs> Nolan in the desert. And I was like, Do you think Christopher what would Christopher Nolan think if he knew these two guys in the middle of nowhere were screaming at each other about him? <laughs> it was great. Man. I, I I
2: attested that Hollywood director Christopher Nolan is one of the greatest producers, directors of our time. And I brought up such movies as Memento and Inception and Interstellar. And there, there were mean, there was an argument against
1: this? Well We don't have to get Paul, into the but, argument against yeah, it. You but, know what, we <laughs> might no, because
2: <laughs> right now me and Paul are on the same page. Well, sister, Nolan, I you have to like understand you movie. have to understand Paul and you know, he's this hooty fluty writer type and all these things, <laughs> you know. He his his argument was that like these these directors and stuff get to this level where if they wanna make a a seven hour epic, you know, whatever, they are at liberty to just do whatever they want. And you know, you could cut Interstellar down to like an hour and a half and it'd be fine. I it's agree with that. Like, I, I don't know.
0: <laughs> the two movies these guys go over, like that they agreed upon the whole week was Big Trouble in Little China as a great movie and then the three amigos so yes.
1: Yeah. yeah okay never seen big trouble
2: in little china but three amigos oh, is a repeat, Brady, repeat Brady. rental big big trouble in little china is one of my favorite movies of all time and is that is kurt russell if anyone's a kurt russell fan out there and they have not watched big trouble in little china you are not a kurt, kurt russell fan. so just <laughs>
1: oh, man okay yeah all right i need to find that one
0: What other what other dub questions do you have?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I want to hear about the food. I want to hear about why you why it's good to know the because you got what food and like you got you talk about last year like this was is unlike any other race in terms of just like the level of everything that you get provided as a racer. I want want to hear about the food part. (laughs)
0: Let me just say, Howard, you're he was an incredible chef. Like, dude, I had probably the best meals I've had in. Muds on this race in the desert. Like, we are eating chicken parmesan, like fancy. No parmesan. It, but, you know,
1: Stephanie gave up to Howard's level. <laughs> <laughs> we
0: we're eating, like, what were we eating, dude? Like, steak salad, chicken parmesan. Like, dude, it was, we, we had, at one point, we had smoked salmon on bagels with cream oh. cheese and stuff. And I'm like, where are we? And I was looking around. I'm like, I'm covered in dirt. I smell bad. You know, there's mud all over my hat. And I'm eating, like, Smoked salmon on a bagel. It was incredible. That's
2: cool. Howard, Howard made a salad, uh, a light bed of, um, of spinach, and he, he made up some um, couscous and uh, nice vinaigrette dressing and so forth. So they're very you, – you, you think that you wouldn't appreciate fine cuisine like that, you know, out in the desert and running this race. And, and to bring up Thomas Mullins again, he, he said something last year where I'm normally a pretty good – party eater but when you're when you're exerting your body and you're out in the desert for 12 hours like you may not have the best appetite and he recommended that you want to eat until you're like comfortably like almost you we all get to that point where you eat you're like ah i'm you know i'm fine you almost kind of eat just beyond that but you don't want to make yourself sick because we're just you're, you're burning so much energy and stuff like that to give yourself enough juice for the next
0: day it was awesome ed And like I said, at the end of every finish line, well, on the long day and then the marathon, like I came in and I sat down and I was so over carbs at that point. I was like, dude, I I do not want another Fig Newton. (laughs) But anyways, um, so I sat down and Howard's like, yay, can I get you anything, man? And I'm like, can I just have a glass of milk? Like all I want is milk. I just want protein. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it sounds so gross and everyone's like, Oh, what? Milk? Milk was a bad choice. And I'm like, milk was the best choice of my life. It was amazing. <laughs> and I don't even drink milk that often in like everyday life, you know? It was a running documentary that I happened to be watching. I can't remember which
1: one it was. Someone was just like, their someone was not agreeing with them. It was just terrible. I don't remember which one it was, but they like put a hooded sweatshirt on around the other way around. They put pieces of like, Cut up watermelon and there were cantaloupe or something. We would just continually eat watermelon and it was just like a savior for them while they're racing. Like they could digest it. It was a lot of like hydration. It was perfect. Like you find anything out while you're racing? You're like this. This is a game changer for me. This kind of food is if they have this. Oh, I'm 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 all set. Or you just kind of like go with whatever looks good at the time.
2: No, I was just gonna say along the lines of um putting on the hooded sweatshirt like backwards routine uh. What I did this year, which I hadn't done previously, was I took my hydration pack and I, I put it on backwards. So I was wearing it like a little pacoose, like I had a baby there. And I put like energy bars in the top of the pouch. So like, it sounds like subhuman or like I'm a horse or something like that. But I would just, it was completely hands-free and the bars were just sitting in the top of the pack and that worked out well for me. You
1: mean just like, you'd like go to?
2: yeah eat them out of where I guess, there's <laughs> I, I wish the folks could see this at home yeah i just i, I know. Really...
1: very visual oh, wow. like <laughs> trying to mind what it looks like hands
2: free baby is the way to go <laughs> <That's
0: awesome. laughs> well i was just saying um if you had a graph of like how good fig newtons were they slowly went downhill throughout the week for me but i would <laughs> grab one of those at every aid station um And then drink like ginger ale. Ginger ale is my go-to, man. So I would have two cups of ginger ale every aid station because I'm like, it's just quick calories. It's good. But um, there were moments where I'm like, okay, over this next section, my only goal is not a time goal. It's not a pace goal or anything like that. My only goal is to eat this fake Newton because I'm like, I have to eat something. You have to like constantly be throwing food in you to burn. Otherwise you're not going to make it. And I'm like, even when you didn't feel hungry, it's like, man, I have to eat something. I have to get this done and I have to, get, cause I've had races where I end up like just not being able to eat anything. And then your energy level just crashes, you know?
2: Yeah. No, 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 absolutely. But no, along those lines, just to clo- close the loop full circle as I like to do um, on a previous podcast, we addressed that day four, the, the expedition day, was like my nemesis, was my white whale. Yeah, yeah. And uh, last year, I did not eat the sandwich that I packed for myself. <laughs> so this year, this year, I saw to it that I ate not one, <laughs> not two, but three sandwiches. <laughs> the night before, I made two peanut PB&Js, uh, and I took some nice mm. Himalayan sea salt, just dashed it on there. And I, I packed that sandwich in the in the, in the the lunch drop at the Onion uh, Onion Creek aid station. And I ran with the other two PB&Js in my back. I understand that for most people, this is not important. They're like, I thought this was an ultra running or adventure podcast. And now we're talking about delicacies and sandwiches. But those three sandwiches are what got me through my Thursday. And I said, it's not happening again as I'm just – the sandwiches are lodged in the papoose and I'm just I'm just eating the sandwiches and bam, success. Oh my God, <laughs> that's amazing.
1: So something I've been curious about, like I, I know that you talked about like the amount of energy that you can get from someone else's story. Um, and without like, you, I know you're very careful about like not wanting to tell someone else's story, but what is something that you'll look back on and go day three, that person, that stage or that person's story that they shared with me or whatever it is, like any anything,
2: any stories from like anyone else that will give you like inspiration that you want to talk about? So so two things. Um, one will lead into the other one. So I hope this I hope this makes sense. But Chris and I previously have shared our personal trials and tribulations and things that we've gone through. And I, I think what both of us have learned um, from that having gone through it ourselves is first off your life, you're not going to face only one trial or tribulation. You're going you're gonna to face many. Um, but for me personally, what I experienced was you, you take the offense extremely personal and, and whether you want to believe in God or, or an afterlife or anything like that, you, you say to, you, to the universe, maybe, how, how could this have happened? Like, how could this have happened to me? Why? It, it's, there's a lot of whys and there's a lot of why me? You know, and and what I've learned is when you when you free yourself from those types of questions and from that, that sort of mindset and you realize that like not that I draw any power or energy from someone else sharing their story or sharing their struggles. But when I hear that other people in fact face hard times or are carrying their own cross, um, it kind of lightens my load. And um, I, like I said, I I, cannot, I can only speak for my own behalf. I, I can't, I, 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 don't, I don't feel at liberty to share someone else's story, but the, the time that I shared with, with Lori especially, and then seeing her or hearing about her coming in very late Thursday evening, for me just said to myself like there's someone else out there that's facing things and and struggling and and has her own things that she's working through and and in some way like not not to make it personal not to make it about Mm -hmm. me but then when she in fact said you know knowing that your cutoff was 11 was 11 p.m and 41 minutes and I came in before that like it sounds kind of crazy like why would that make me happy or give me chills but I find that awful inspiring that in some way, because, because I don't want to mention age, it's not about age or sex or anything like that, but like she, she had something in her mind. She had a certain mindset and she got herself to do that. So that's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I would say, um, I like 100%, like, just like I said, watching her kind of power through, um, I don't, it wasn't like last, so last year there were moments where there were individual stages where people really like the whole, like Paul on day four running out of water situation, um, where that like sticks mm-hmm. out as like a huge memory of like, Whoa, like what an inspiring, like what a dark time Paul went through. <laughs> um, uh, but we about it now. yeah, we can. And, but there's not, I didn't that's like I don't I don't know. I didn't hear as many like that this year, but it's these conversations that this this has led me to have and these interactions with everybody. So um, after the race, uh, I sat down and had a beer with Paul, and we just talked for like 30 minutes and he shared some of of his wisdom because he's very wise. Uh, you know, and he knows a lot of like a lot about Buddhism and like a lot of Buddhist wisdom. And he's just sharing me some stories through that. And like, I had this weird, like trippy thought and it's already weird cause we're back in society. And like, yeah. it's just weird after six days. And I, I know people who are listening to this who have probably been in the wilderness longer. It's probably even weirder then, but like you get this weird, like sensation of like, oh, I'm back in the everyday, the normal, whatever mm. that is, you know? Um, but I had this weird feeling after having this like really deep personal discussion with him where I was like, dude, did I do this event for these last two years specifically to learn these lessons that I'm learning right now? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And like, obviously not like, obviously like a billion things have come out of doing this event, but that was like, that totally stood out to me. And I'll never forget that. And I'm so grateful um, for Paul and like, you know that i was able to kind of sit down and have him like clarify some uh, like you know like doubts and weird thoughts and stuff about like grief and stuff like that you know things phil and i have talked about previously
1: yeah definitely i'm wondering if you you guys have both done this twice together and it's like I, I, i don't know when you uh you guys even mentioned it before you're like you know if i look back on it i don't remember the pain i don't remember the suffering like good times um you guys thinking about signing up again to do a three-peat are you like i would like to devote uh time next year to like multiple things instead of this one giant thing um like do you try to up the ante like i guess like what is uh what's your feelings on, on doing the all this again are you obligated to Uh, After winning it, are you obligated to come back?
0: (laughs) I don't, I definitely don't know about that. But, uh, short answer would be I don't know, like, I just don't know at this point. It would be cool, I think it would be cool, Phil, to go back and complete the trilogy, you know what I mean? Like, return of the Jedi style. (laughs) it's funny because we were talking so much beforehand before the race about like, how's this going to be different than the year before? And then it was, there were a lot of things that were a lot different. And then
1: it was, you know? then it was different. <laughs>
0: yeah. And then there's yeah. the idea of like the crew is so wonderful and that it's so much fun just hanging out with them, you know? Uh So there's that whole aspect. And then there's just the whole, like, the trail is mind blowing, and I'm kind of like I'll I would never be on this trail by myself. Like I would only be out here with this support and with mm. this event. So mm. it's tempting in that aspect as well. But short answer, I'm not sure. Uh,
1: yeah, let me let me digest it, and I'll get back to that thought
2: process of signing up when it's closer to a reasonable sign up date. Yeah, exactly. So for those. For those who are listening that made it this this far into the podcast, uh, Chris Ward has yet to establish this or say anything about this, but he, he not only took first on every leg of the race, he also took first overall. So if I were Chris Ward, which I'm not Chris Ward, um, <laughs> at this point I would just ride off into the sunset. And uh, I, I don't think there's any obligation in regards to like, desert rats but I mean I think if you like crush a race and you take first you just kind of like ride off and you wave your hat in the air and yeah just ride off in the midst of that yeah man you're you, you can you can do whatever you want at that point hell yeah yeah for, for me personally um not to get too in the weeds on a on a personal level but I feel like last year not not that I did this race I, I think we just kind of stumbled upon it like on an ultra sign up or something but I think I didn't really have anything to prove to anyone but myself. Um, But last year it was more about leaving things in the desert, putting things down in the desert, letting go of things in the desert. And this year it was more about picking things up. Maybe like maybe there was a, a heightened level of confidence or a heightened level of, you know, I, I, I touched on this earlier in the podcast, but the fact that Chris Paul and I had done this previously, there was lessons learned from the people that we ran with the really? previous year. Um, there were some pretty well-known runners that had done it last year. Uh, Ryan Golden has done this thing year after year after year. Domination. If Ryan Computer was there, I Chris would have had no chance. Just, <laughs> he watched the live tracker every day
1: last year and was like, here's everyone kind of in their places, and then there's this outlier way out here. Mm-hmm. What's going on? <laughs> if, yeah. if he was signing up, would you do it? Would I do it? <laughs> Yeah, no. Sorry.
0: You no, know, he would kick my ass. Like no, there's no doubt in my mind. That guy's insane, dude. <laughs> um, yeah, man. I don't, I don't know, because then Phil and I have this big discussion about rituals and traditions and things like that. I'm like, ah, oh, man. Like, just me personally. Like, I don't think there's many events in the United States like Deseretts. Like, I truly don't, and I don't know if. If trying a different like I, I mean, I I love exploring new trails. That's yeah. one aspect of it, right? Just going out and camping and like hanging out and but also having an adventure at the same time, that seems more appealing to me. And I'm not hundred percent sure what else could kind of like capture that, you know. Not to say I won't take yeah, it out and like look for it. Yeah. But
2: I, I, I touched on this earlier and I'll I'll repeat it again. And I'll probably get hated on and that that's absolutely fine but the majority of ultra runners are just regular people you know and it, it's not to say that like elite ultra runners like this weekend as well um michael wardian ran the the loop around washington dc oh, like 495 right yeah and and he's 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 a father he's a husband he's got a full-time job like he, he's a crazy terminator iron man right and but what i'm saying is like and I'm not a publicist for Mike Wardian or anything, but he to me, he's one of the most real down-to-earth... Every runner, every human being has their own story or what they do. But I, I think Chris was alluding to is like, there's other stage races out there. There's other stage races that might be more well-known or more talked about or pay for the bigger advertising and trailer runner magazine or whatever. But like this experience that we're talking about, we're not, we don't have, have no affiliation to Desert Rats. Right. I, I just, it's so hard to put finger down we even spoke about this on our pre-race podcast like what is it is it is it being removed from society is it putting down electronics is it being with a group of like minded people It, it was such we're out there with 10 other people pretty much split half men half women from all walks of life from 40s 50s 60s even I mean you're just you're I, I think for me, I can only speak for me. It's just to put down, we have all these titles. We're we're teachers, we're workers, we're parents, we're father. You know, we're all these things. And it's like when you just put down the titles or the roles and you can just kind of be like your truest, not to be all hippy-dippy, but like you, you can just do this one thing and you can just share this one experience with other people. And then it's like, I don't know about Chris, but like this week I'm just like, you miss these people that you only spend like five, six days with, like what, what is this? You know, like it's, it, it's so hard to put it into words that like, you know, I, I give these people the keys to my car or I'd have them watch my house or something. And I I, I spent one week with them. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's pretty hard to explain,
1: but it, I'm curious during like during the year. So you do something like this, that is, I mean, it's all those things you just said, do you try to like return to that? Um, Try to find way like little ways throughout the year to return to that like on your weekend runs
0: um the whole group aspect, yeah, um you know throughout the year, everyone's like i mean Phil and I we've became really good, like I would count Phil as like in the circle of like some of my absolute closest friends, and yeah. because we did the race together, but then throughout the year you know you you send messages back and forth, and then all of a sudden you're like texting each other all the time, and all of a sudden you're you're chatting on the phone or he's coming out to your house, you know? Um, I don't know, like (laughs) it's, it's hard to, it's, it's difficult to explain that aspect of it, I guess. Um, the whole, like, I
2: think think it's partially the reason why we, we, why we chose to do desert rats again, because like not the afternoon run or I can run up at Harper's ferry or run along the, the Appalachian trail or something, but it's, it's very hard hard to like recapture that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's not like a, there's not a generic version of that. You can just kind of download for an afternoon. It's not that simple.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, I think we probably should start wrapping up. Uh, So really quick though, Phil, I want to say you got honored this year because on the out and back section, there's one section of an out and back on the last day and they, they leave a stone there. You have to pick up, a, they're tiny stones, right? And you have to pick it hey, up, and you have to take it to the aid station to show that you made it to the correct spot uh, to like prove that you didn't like skip a spot or whatever. Um, and Phil was honored this year with the big stone. So, do you want to kind of go into that real quick?
2: Yeah. So again, to to bring up Thomas Mullins yet again, but um, last during last year's race, um,
0: that was the whole week. Chris actually bring bringing bestowed. up Thomas Mullins. So
2: no, <laughs> but yeah, well, last year uh, Chris was bestowed the honor that um. Thomas actually took this large rock and smashed it upon the ground and and broke it into smaller pieces. And Chris helped Tom Thomas bring the rock back to the aid station. And um, this year they they paid tribute by on on this rock drawing a little um, hieroglyph of of B Thomas Mullins and and myself hand hand in hand in, in my, uh, <laughs> eternal Ed voice, shirtless. I guess you'd say. Ed but, shirtless. Uh, we have to say what it. I chose to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What I chose to do was not only bring that said rock back to the aid station. But I could have just ran back with that stone, but uh, it was it was very uh, it was a great honor that I was I was bestowed the rock. So.
0: <laughs> Phil like carried it past the aid station. <laughs> all the way to the finish line. And he was running down, holding it one arm up. And I was like, I thought he was just fist pumping, but he was holding <laughs> the stone in his hand above his head triumphantly. And Damon even tried, <laughs> tried to take it seven miles earlier at the aid station. Like, Hey man, just give it to me. I'll give it to you at the end. And he's like, no, the stone is mine. <laughs> which was incredible but yeah dude is there anything else you kind of want to share about the event like before we kind of wrap it up um and just kind of like if (laughs) this is like probably the longest podcast we've done but if anyone's made it this far like just know um i've started to like last year i recorded little clips from the other racers or other crew members and kind of like put a compilation together so i've already started that so hopefully that'll be next week Um, but we'll kind of see there
2: I don't want to I don't want to repeat what has been brought up previously but to to kind of touch on what Brady brought up again about whether or not this is an adventure that we would like to partake in again and um, I would also like to say at this point I, I don't know but what I would say is for each and every there's only so much sand in the hourglass right and and whether for Chris and I it's going back to Desert Rats to complete the trilogy, or or whether we were good with the with the sequel. For me, I think it was one of the greatest sequels ever made. Um But the challenge, and I, I kind of brought this up on the pre on the pre-Rats podcast, just do stuff. Like do everything we've all done, whether it's go to college or whether it's move out of your house or or whatever like we've all accomplished really great things for ourselves and for some reason we get to a certain point you know i don't want to say we get soft or we get comfortable or anything like that but for some reason we just decide oh i'm I'm done college like i don't need to pick up another book i don't need to i don't need to study for a test i'm done i think ultra running for me is very much like it's paradoxical because every time I come to a finish line like, Hey, good for you. You did it. There's another starting line that I'm looking at. And I think that's a, that's a healthy way to look at life that like, don't rest on your laurels. Don't, if you suffer a defeat or if you suffer a failure, it's, it's not the end. It's not the end for you. And if you do a race like desert rats and you don't get the results that you like, or you want to experience it again, do it again. Mm -hmm. Or if there's something you've never done before, and you have just like a little burning desire to do it, do it. Because yeah. the regret of not doing it is going to be far worse than you doing it and not, and not getting the, the result or the outcome that you want. Mm-hmm. So for me, I'd much rather fail a hundred, you know, I'm not, I, I could name a bunch of quotes, but I'd rather fail my entire life, my deathbed and said, well, at least I tried Than for the person that never leaves their front porch, you know? Great.
0: I think that's probably like, I couldn't say anything better than that. So that's probably where we're re- we'll leave it. Cause mine will be just be like, yeah, dude, it was awesome. Uh, <laughs> uh, but dude, I, I, I will try to say something. I'm just going to say it's a special event. Um special adventure. Anyone like you guys, if you're listening to this and it sounds even remotely interesting, please check it out. Please get more information because I promise you, whatever it is, maybe your adventure will be, it's 110 degrees and it's just like burning every single cell in your body. I don't know. You're powering through it, but then you show yourself you can power through it. Or maybe like us, like it'll be freezing cold rainstorm and you'll be battening down someone's tent. But like you will find something to take with you out yeah. into the real world. So, and it was awesome and sweet dude.
1: Very <laughs> <laughs> Classic.
0: Thanks for coming on, Phil. Thank you for sharing your story again. Like, first of all, anytime you two want to come on the podcast, like just text me. Cause we could do podcasts podcast for hours and hours <laughs> and hours. Cause I, I love talking to both you guys. Keep doing what you're doing, man.
2: It's been really fun to
1: watch you guys, uh, take on these crazy adventures together and watch 2 badass guys, like become mm. friends. It's awesome. I'm glad to be a part of that. Glad you guys included me in any of this.
0: Uh. (laughs) All right, guys. Thanks, man. Every single day in every walk of life, ordinary people do extraordinary things. Uh, That quote is from Jim Jim Valvano, uh, basketball coach for the NC State Wolfpack when they uh, went and won the national championship. Uh, If you've never seen the 30 for 30 on it, Documentary. Um, I highly recommend it. As someone who's not even a really big uh, basketball fan, um, but as someone who's really passionate about the story of sports and the story of people overcoming adversity, um, I thought of that quote after the podcast: um, "Ordinary people do extraordinary things," because Phil brought up the fact. I mean. Phil and I, we're not <laughs> we're not elite athletes. We don't have coaches. We don't train at the uh, the Colorado or not Colorado, yeah Colorado Springs like Olympic Center or anything like that. We are ordinary people. Um, if you're out there listening and you're thinking to yourself that a uh, desert like a hundred and forty mile race through the desert, that's insane. I can never do this. Um, I'm just an ordinary dude or ordinary lady. (laughs) I want to implore you to fight back against that idea. Um, you can do extraordinary things. Trust me. Um, if you asked me five years ago, if I could have done this race, if you would have asked me two years ago when I first lined up for it, I would have said I would have had a lot of doubts. I had a lot of self doubts, right? Um, But the only way I was able to put those self-doubts aside was by lining up with that start line and giving it my best shot. Um, Maybe my best shot might not have been good enough. Who knows? No one knows. The future is unknown, right? But you will never know unless you actually step up to that challenge. Um, And (laughs) if you're listening this far in, right, we're, we're two hours in. This is the longest Like a Bigfoot podcast of all time. If you're listening this far in, I would tend to guess there is this little voice in your head or this interest where you're like, could I do fill in the blank? Whatever it is, right? It doesn't have to be the same thing I like to do. It could be whatever you want to do, right? I have things right now that I'm thinking, could I do blank, right? That I'm still nervous about and I'm scared of and I'm intimidated by, Right. If you've listened this far in, it might just be because you want to step up to the challenge and you want to see that your potential is limitless, honestly. Um, you want to see what, what that is. You want to go out there and find it for yourself. Um, and that's what I hope this podcast, any of the episodes, but specifically this one, has shown you um i hope that's the message that is coming across ordinary people do extraordinary things um and you can too and maybe you have right maybe you're listening to this and you're like yeah i've finished desert rats maybe you're one of my fellow racers right um and if that's the case i really truly hope that you have been able to show yourself this um anything is possible if you are working towards it and you're putting in hard work and you're willing to, um, put up with some uncomfortableness and, uh, you're able to kind of wisely think through your decisions and, and maybe even, you know, kind of stoically face the challenge. Right. And when I think of stoicism, you know, some sometimes when you read about it, you're like, oh my God, like, a stoic person would be a bummer to hang out with these guys are so serious all the time right and uh (laughs) that was my first thought when i was reading a little bit about it and but then i kind of changed my idea about this topic right so stoicism is basically like not allowing your emotions to make uh to affect your actions um you know and it's something like at times we all struggle with, right? Like your emotions can become very powerful and they can help you um, or basically cause certain um, reactions from you, right? When I first read about it, I was like, oh man, so Stoics just never show emotion. That's a bummer, right? (laughs) Or they must never feel emotion. They're like numb. Like I don't want to live that way. Um, And then I reframed it. And during the race this year, like I really thought about this. Uh, it's, I don't think it's that, I don't think that's the healthy mindset. Um, I think there are moments like whatever your emotions are going to be, whether it's super happy, super sad, angry, blah, 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 so on and so forth. They're super important, um, to you and you should feel them for sure, but you should not let them kind of take control of your actions. Uh, when I mentioned in here and I feel more comfortable talking now that my nose isn't completely stuffed up, (laughs) it was cleared up the next morning. But, uh, when I mentioned that day four, uh, all of a sudden it got really hot. I didn't feel that good. Um, I started getting the self doubt. The sun's just beating down on me bugs in the desert. They're all jumping out of all the bushes attacking me. (laughs) in my mind i'm like why are these bugs just attacking me and then the plants even if you touch a desert plant like it's gonna like it they're like badass they're tough plants right it's gonna like hurt you right so everything's going wrong basically is what i'm trying to say um and i started having a pity party right uh and in my mind i was feeling those emotions like oh man like i'm exhausted like uh do i do i do i really want to be out here right (laughs) Um, but then I made a pledge with myself where I said, Hey, these emotions like aren't bad. These are, these are what they are. These are what I'm feeling right now. That's important, but I'm not going to let it control my actions. So I wasn't going, and Paul, we talk about Paul on this podcast a lot. Paul sharing. I mean, one of the wisest dudes I met, uh, he told me that his mantra on that same day was, uh, don't make any decision on an uphill (laughs) and that whole day is uphill. So basically he didn't make a decision all day. Um, but it's that idea, right? Like don't make a decision based off of your emotions in that moment. Okay. So like if something, you know, if I would have felt bad and it was two hours later and I'm still, and I'm just getting worse and worse and worse, like obviously that's the time to make a decision. But when you first have that initial pity party, that is not the time. Um, And so that was one of the biggest lessons I learned uh, from Desert Rats this year, Desert Rats the sequel. Um, But the other one really is this. It's just if you think this sounds ridiculous, if you think you never, you know, you would never be able to defeat this challenge or conquer it or whatever. um, But there's that little voice in the back of your head that's still listening two hours and two minutes in who's like, hmm that sounds interesting. I want to say step up to it. Find out for yourself, man. Don't tell yourself stories. Find out for yourself if what you think is reality is reality, right? If you think I can never finish this, but you never step up to the start line and you never try it, now you're just telling yourself a story. You don't know if that's fact or fiction. So you might as well figure it out for yourself because we basically have one life to live. Um, All right, that's where I'm going to wrap it this week. Uh, We are going to do one more episode about Desert Rats. So join us next week. Um, I'm really excited. I already have four of these stories recorded, um, but we're going to be talking to fellow racers. We're going to be talking to Reed and Kyla, the race directors, um, and kind of hearing their tales from the week and uh there's some hilarity some uh inspiration and and all sorts of craziness involved so i hope you guys come back for that um but yeah uh we'll get back at you then